Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody here tonight. Lord, everybody here came for different reasons, but we know nothing happens outside of your sovereign control, and for whatever reason, anyone sitting here tonight thought they came here this week. We know that you had business to do with every one of us, and we're here by your sovereign grace. Every breath, every heartbeat, every brainwave, every day, every meal is from your hand. And even though we often take those things for granted and give you no credit for them, we realize you deserve all the glory. Lord, I am thankful for everybody here. Tonight, this week, those who are obviously worshiping you with whole hearts, hearts on fire for you, those who are ambivalent, those who don't care, those here with lots of questions, some of them honest, others manipulative. Father, I'm I'm even grateful for the mockers that are here, who are mocking those who worship you and Mocking worship and mocking you in the long run. Lord, they're here because you love them and because you are the one who created them and who sent your son so that they could know freedom and forgiveness. Lord, I'm grateful for your overwhelming, lavish love for me, for this world that has hated you since the Garden of Eden's rebellion. And so, Lord, tonight we go before you and into your word with the Spirit's help, hopeful that you'll change hearts, turn mockers into worshipers, turn worshipers into even more fervent worshipers who bear even more fruit than they already are. So, Lord, help us now as we go to your word to go with a healthy, holy fear of you, not presuming on your grace or the gift of your word, but going to it as a gift. Lord, help us now. We've been hearing powerful words all week in these spoken words and in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight you would change hearts, that you do a work that marks us for the rest of our lives. And we pray this in the name of the Good Shepherd. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're once again going to hear from Jesus from the Gospel of John in this key passage where he continues to teach us who he is, what truth really is, and what it means to understand him and be one of his people. Now, one of the most wonderful things about the Bible is one of the hardest things about it, and that is it doesn't just drop out of the sky with truth in a vacuum. It comes to us from God as the Spirit inspires human authors in particular times and places that in many ways are completely different than our times and places. But what we find out in the Bible over and over again is that human beings fundamentally are no different than they've ever been. Our purpose is the same as it's ever been, to glorify God because he made us in his image to know him and glorify him with our lives more than anything else. Our problem is fundamentally the same as it was 
with those people thousands of years ago who were around when this Bible was written because our fundamental problem is what we talked about last night. It's called sin. It's called rebellion against God. And we've got a broken relationship with him and a broken relationship with each other and a broken relationship with the creation itself and within ourselves. The same problem we have is the same problem humans have always had. And the solution is fundamentally the same as it's ever been. God's gracious provision through his son, Jesus, we've been hearing about and hearing from all week. And I want to settle into this passage tonight where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And my prayer, as I just prayed and have been praying and will continue to pray throughout tonight, is that God would change our hearts when we see Jesus for who he is a little bit better right now. John 10, verse 7 is where we'll pick up this amazing story of Jesus. So Jesus has sa again said to them, truly, truly, remember, amen, amen, he's saying, truly, truly, absolutely true, truth with a capital T, not just what you think or someone's opinion, but truth from God's perspective, which is how it really is. That's what he means when he prefaces his statements with, Truly, 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 I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He came. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. And flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as my father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus is amazing. I, I just hope you are in awe of Christ and falling more in love with him as you see him speak to his opponents in these ways. So let's unpack this a bit. My concern for you is that probably there is almost no one in here who has ever held a lamb. 
or a sheep. Has anyone held a lamb or a sheep? Yeah, a few of you, good. Uh, most of you have never met a shepherd or spent any time on a sheep farm. I have. I've spent extensive time on a sheep farm, both in Israel and in the Lake District of England, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. We were actually doing a hike when we were in Israel one time uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and we were hiking in this thing called the Wadi Kelt, this dry, arid place in the desert where Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan who helped the, the man who was on the side of the road after being beaten by robbers. You know the story, the Good Samaritan, one of the most famous in the Bible? We were walking that very path that Jesus refers to when he tells that story. It was an awesome experience. As you know, these places are real. These are real people in real places that happen at a real time, and I've been to those places. And so, so we were walking this path, and, and we heard way off in the distance an animal bleeding, just going, making all this noise and we were expecting to see it and we must have walked an hour and a half hearing this animal in the distance and finally after all this time we saw way up on the top of this little mountain this shepherd walking back to his home it wasn't a lamb. It would have been a bit of a better story. It was a lamb, but I'm committed to truth in my stories. It was a goat. He had a goat around his neck that had obviously run off. And he went up into these hills in the hot desert. I don't know how long. Maybe he spent half a day looking for this goat. And he finally came back carrying it. This isn't the picture. I actually have a picture of it. But, but I want you to see this photograph. This is a shepherd carrying a lamb back who's obviously either injured or had run away or was in some situation where it couldn't fend for itself and so the shepherd had to go and get this lost lamb put it on his shoulders and carry it back to a place of safety safety maybe because this lamb had foolishly wandered away from the herd where he's completely unsafe to predators or maybe he had an injury, but is this a beautiful picture of what a shepherd still looks like to this day in the land where Jesus is telling this story? Most of us here are not from an agrarian, a farming society where shepherds and sheep and livestock and, and these sorts of things are familiar to us, so we need to enter into the reality of this. This was just a regular part of daily life for people when Jesus uses these images of a shepherd and a sheep referring to his people as his sheep and himself as the good shepherd. And so Jesus wants us to understand this picture that's unfamiliar to most of us, but he wants us to get familiar with it through the scriptures. So what Jesus is saying here is he's, he's the way through into the place of safety. He talks in the previous verses about him being the, the way through, the way into the place of safety, into the sheep fold, the place where you find safety. But here in our passage, we just read, he says, I'm the good shepherd. He also says, he picks up what was previously going on, says, I'm the door of the sheep. I, I'm the way they get into the place of safety. And I'm the one that brings them there. Even when they foolishly run away or been hurt by the realities of this world. And you know what? When we talked about sin last night, I hope you realize, and, and I tried to help us realize that life in a fallen world includes both damage this world and other people have done to us. And God has profound compassion for that. But we all 
also need to realize our responsibility in the problems of this fallen, broken world. That we all have to own our responsibility for the sin in this world and not just always point fingers at everybody else who didn't treat us right. We need to realize that we're all guilty of sin before a holy God. And so he says, I'm the door and I'm the good shepherd. He says, other shepherds have come in, but they weren't in it for the good of the sheep. Now, he's not talking about other leaders of God's people who did it right, like Moses and Isaiah, those kinds. He's talking about so many through the history of Israel that were in it for selfish gain. They weren't in it for the good of the sheep. They were in it for themselves. And even the leaders to whom he's speaking in this passage represent those thieves and those robbers who, as he said in last night's passage, are following their father, the devil, who's the one who's telling the lies. And here Jesus is saying, no, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who gets you there. I'm the way you get there. And again, he refers to Satan, this theme we've been seeing, the powers of darkness, demonic forces. The thief, number, verse 10, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And what I want you to realize is the lies of the enemy who wars against your soul tells lies that sound so good on the surface. And I, I must tell you, I, my whole life I've been trying to tell the difference between the truth and the lies. And as I've understood the truth, follow that and see the lies for what they are. But, but throughout my life, I've given in to those lies. I've given in to those promises that the evil one tells me about what's going to give me life, even though God tells me it won't. And I want to tell you something. As a 58-year-old man who's been sinning for 58 years, Every time I believed a lie, every time I trusted something that promises life that's outside of God's ways, that lie has stood up and mocked me after I've given into it. it it's mocked me. It, it never satisfies. Take my word for it. Sin never ultimately satisfies. It will for a while It'll feel pleasurable for a while because God gives us gifts that we can abuse and it still feels good. It still feels right. But I'm telling you, in the long run, it'll kill you because God alone is the author of life and he is the only one who will give you life. And the only way you get to him is through the one who's the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. And following his ways is what you do when you find life in him. And so Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Now, we tend to think of a cuddly little lamb you pick up at some fair, you know, cute little cuddly lamb, feed it a bottle if it's a baby. I actually saved the lamb's life one time. Yes, I did. I was on a sheep farm, and my friend Kenny and I were walking around very early in the morning one time, and we saw a little baby lamb. It, it, was, it was lambing season. And this baby lamb had tumbled down this little, little hill and fallen into a stream in the cold of the morning, and it was freezing, and it, was, it, it would have drowned eventually, but I climbed down there, and I saved this little baby lamb's life. Yes. It didn't make the newspapers or anything. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've actually had the experience of acting like a shepherd for a few days, you know? But... But please, when you think of a good shepherd, yeah, the word has moral connotations, but good in this sense, and very often in the Bible, doesn't just mean nice or kind or compassionate or tender. Actually, shepherds, especially in the first century before they 
they drove ATVs like they do now, even in Israel. Uh, they, they used to be really tough people, just tough, manly, spending all night outside under the stars in harsh conditions, sometimes fighting off wild animals, even bears and lions, like David says he did as a shepherd. So when you think good shepherd, don't just think nice guy who's compassionate to the cuddly little lambs. Think somebody who's trustworthy, who unlike these false shepherds, which is a reference to Isaiah denouncing the false leaders among God's people who left them as sheep without a shepherd, he says, the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, I'm not like those fake shepherds who just take off when it gets tough. I'm a good shepherd you can count on who's faithful and has everything I need to provide from you as a lamb who often wanders and often is injured and needing my help. And so Jesus is the good shepherd. Those other ones flee because those aren't really his sheep, right? But my sheep know me, he says. I have sheep, he says, who are not of this fold. He's talking about Gentiles there because he's talking to Jews right now where God's work has been focused, but he's saying, my work is focused here, but for the purpose of blessing all the nations of the world. Probably the majority of us here are, are Gentiles, not Jews here, and the message has reached the Gentile world because Jesus said it was focused on the Jews here, but it was always intended for those outside of the Jewish people so that they ultimately are one flock with one shepherd, he says in verse 16. And then he says, the way I care for you most as the good shepherd is to die for you. He says in verse 17, I laid on my life for you. See, my father and I in the spirit, we're working your salvation. And the way we're doing that, the way we're caring for you most importantly and foundationally is to die in your place is to take your penalty of sin on the cross. He said, I'm the good shepherd, and I'm going to care for you first and foremost and foundationally by dying for you, paying the penalty for your sin that you deserve, but I'll take on my shoulders. That's what he's saying here is the good shepherd. And I want you to notice, he says, for this reason the Father loves me, I lay down my life, but it doesn't end there, as the spoken word beautifully said, and as you so perfectly, appropriately responded with cheers when he talked about the resurrection, it warms my heart when you're paying attention and understanding that, that deeply, that that deserves a cheer when you talk about Jesus conquering death, because we needed him to. And he says, I lay down my life, but I take it up again. Who has the power to not just die but rise again in his own ability to lay it down. And he says, I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I received from my father. And did you see the two responses? Some continue to say, ah, he's, he's crazy. He's insane. Or he's, he's demon-possessed. This can't be what's right. But people are seeing it rightly too. In my prayer, my urgent, anxious, burdened prayer is that every one of you tonight would see that Jesus is not crazy. And Jesus is not in it for himself. He's in it for you. And he gives himself for you. See, there are two kinds of people in verse 21 who respond. The one he says is oppressed by a demon and the other ones who say no. People are physically and spiritually be able to see because of him. That's not what demons do. Demons don't give sight. They blind people. Demons don't bring truth. They lie to people. So which is it for you? Is Jesus a liar? Is Jesus crazy? Or is he the son of God who comes and gives life 
and is the way, the truth, and the life? That's the answer. That's the only big major question of life, really. Everything else flows from that. And so Jesus is the good shepherd. I hope you see how clearly this is taught in this passage. And, and I must tell you, if I had to pick one thing to say, this is the message of the Bible, it's who God is and how to know him through Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. And, and, and if I had, had to give you one just simple answer to how you know him through Jesus, it would be know him taking your place in his life, death, and resurrection. And you know him by believing, like we've been seeing all week. Believing he is who he said he is. It's really simple. Little, little kids understand it. It's belief in Jesus is the one who takes your place. And, and this is, I believe, the central message Jesus brings. L look what Paul says, the pioneer missionary to the Gentiles. For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's what Paul says is of first importance. Now, Paul sought to know lots of things. He says elsewhere to the Corinthians, I sought to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Now, in one sense, that's not true because Paul sought to know all kinds of things, what marriages should function like and how the church should function and how husbands should treat their wives and how children should obey, obey their parents and, and that Timothy should take care of his stomach in this way. It's amazing how many things he sought to know, what it's going to be like when Jesus returns, all kinds of things. But what he's saying here is at the core of it all is Jesus in your place. At the core of it all is Jesus living and dying and rising for you like you desperately need him to, and you find by faith union with him that leads to life alone. So it's of central importance. And, and listen to this great description of what I'm talking about. Again, from the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 9. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to all those who are waiting for him. What are you waiting for? If you're waiting for Jesus as, as the one who's going to come and make all things well, as the judge of all the earth, to wipe away every tear one day, to take back his kingdom once and for all, his creation once and for all, if that's describing you because you've come to trust him and are a new creature in him, then your sins have been taken away. If you're just living for the weekend, though, if you're just living for the next hookup, the next like on social media, if, if you're just living for people to recognize how cool you are, if you're living for that career, that degree, or that level of success, or whatever it is you're living for, you need to realize that if you understand who Jesus is, you'll live for him. And he's not something you add to your life. He is your life. And so we've got to see the difference, yeah. And there's something I want you to know. When you read about Jesus going to the cross, when you see pictures of him, when you watch movies where he's bloody and a crown of thorns is on his head and he's been beaten all night long by Roman soldiers and he's, and he's hanging on a cross, he looks like a helpless victim. But do you see how important it is to him that we realize that he is doing this voluntarily? 
No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Oh, these human agents are doing it. But like the apostle Peter says to those leaders, he said, you with the help of sinful men handed him over to be crucified. And all this happened according to the predetermined plan of God. You know, our big question this week is Pilate's question, what is truth? He says with a sneer, as Jesus is standing next to him, who, and Jesus is the truth. And, and there's this other scene where, where Pilate's, uh, Jesus is freezing Pilate out. He's not answering any of his questions. And he says, what, you're not going to talk to me? Don't you know I could hand you over to be killed? And Jesus turns to him and says, you have no power that isn't given to you. I'm running this show, Pilate, not you. You think you are, but I am. I could call down a legion of angels right now and end this. But not my will, but thy will be done. And he goes to the cross for us. And he says, not of my will, but my own accord. I want to show you a painting from the 14th century. Christianity's been going on a long time, you know. And, and watch this painting. It's historically highly inaccurate, but theologically incredibly accurate. It bears out this verse that Jesus is laying down his life. This is not how Jesus historically went to the cross, but this is what's going on in, in the understanding of what's going on in the cross. This is a painting by an Italian painter. Where's Mike? He's Italian. Yeah, uh, it's an Italian painter. But look at, this look at this ancient painting. Hey, hey, listen. Jesus is going to the cross, and he, he, he did not put a ladder on the cross to climb it. But do you see what the artist is communicating? This, right? He's communicating what Jesus is saying. Yeah, I look like a helpless victim, but I'm doing this. And look, the people watching are handing him the hammer and this guy's got a basket of nails about to provide the nails for him because they deserve what he's about to endure but he's choosing to take it in their place and so Jesus does this voluntarily because of his incredible love for us knowing this is our greatest need Jesus in our place Jesus dies for us taking our place look at Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, us, to bring you to God. That's what you need more than anything, to be brought to God. And, and that's what we need to realize our greatest need is, to be brought to God, and Jesus does that. But I want you to realize something else. It's not just his death that is for you. It's his life. There's a reason Jesus didn't die for you as a baby in the manger. Because Jesus didn't just die for you, he lived for you. He lived a perfect, obedient life in place of every time you've disobeyed, disobeyed every, every sinful thought, every sinful emotion, every sinful action. Jesus obeyed every single time in place of your disobedience. It's his life for you, his perfect obedience. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus doesn't just take away your sins. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you his obedience in place of your disobedience. And, and that's fantastic news. Philippians 3.9 puts it this way. We're found in him by faith, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, this so defies human intuition. Do you know there's something in me that hates grace, that hates gift? I want to earn it. I want to deserve it. I want to prove my worthiness of it. And God says, call that whole thing off. This is grace by faith, not of yourself, so that no one can boast. God gets all the credit, and we get all the benefit and the gift. And so he does it in our place. And we're united with him by faith and in his resurrection. 
So he lived for you, he died for you, and he rose from the dead for you. If he just lived and died, that would have been an amazing, nice gesture. But if he doesn't conquer sin and death and hell, the penalty of sin, and declare that to be true with his resurrection, none of it would have mattered. But look what the Bible says. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Look, I can remember. Yes, amen. Glory to God. Listen, listen, I, I, really, I really can remember being your age. And I, I felt immortal. I knew intellectually I was going to die someday. But I don't think I really believed it. Or I wouldn't have done some of the crazy things I did. But, but you're going to die someday. You know, every year, I know a young person who dies, if not a few. You, know, you have no idea what tomorrow hearts. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to face the judge of all the earth based on how you've lived your life and what you've given your life to? Well, by faith, we can be unified with Jesus in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and no victorious Christian living, and know what Jesus is saying here, that we are able to have life abundantly and eternally because of him. See, the power of the resurrection changes everything, so we can have a resurrection like his. Tim Keller puts it this way, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, he's in charge. If he conquered death, see, every, the, every other religious leader who's ever lived is in the ground. Buddha, Muhammad, Gandhi, Oprah, whoever you want to follow, they're all in the ground. Not Oprah, she will be, though. And, and, and count on it. Jesus isn't. Jesus is alive. We serve a risen Savior. And we need to believe that. And the question then isn't, do I like it or do I want it to be this way? If Jesus conquered death, if Jesus is alive forevermore, and I, you know, I need to tell you, there is no good historical reason to doubt the resurrection. There's tons of great reasons historically to believe in the resurrection. It changed the world. It changed those disciples who were cowering in a corner before Jesus rose from the dead, and then they all were willing to die for their faith in Jesus. Jesus showed up and talked to hundreds of people after and validated his resurrected state, and he never died again. He ascended in their midst. And so listen to Romans 5.10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That is the wonderful news of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, so no one can boast. Here's the news. I don't know how you woke up this morning, how you were thinking about your life, about yourself, about the meaning of your life, about what you're living for. But I don't know, maybe you, like a lot of people, woke up this morning depressed, even in the midst of all the fun around us. Maybe you woke up as anxious as ever. Maybe you woke up in despair. Maybe you woke up this morning wondering if life matters at all, if it's worth living one more day. Maybe you woke up self-satisfied and self-deceived and you're starting to realize now that you're not living for what lasts forever. And it's time to not harden your heart if you're hearing God's voice tonight. 
the great news of the gospel is that there's no sweeter message in all the world than to hear that God is for you. God has done everything you need for him to do. And a miserable, depressed life can be something you wake up tomorrow with a complete radical transformation in if you decide to follow Jesus instead of whatever it is you're giving your life to. There's a radical difference between living for God and living for yourself or for the things only this world offers. You can have a a peaceful, quiet heart knowing that every sin you've ever committed and ever will commit is forgiven. And you've been reconciled to an almighty God by the death of his son. That's the gospel. That's the offer God gives you tonight. I love curiosity. I think it's one of the most important qualities a person can have. You want to learn. You're interested in learning. You're interested in growing. So anytime my kids show any curiosity or anybody I love shows curiosity, I want to feed that. Well, one day my son Sam and I were watching President Obama on on, uh, the computer And Sam said to me, Dad, who are the dudes in the sunglasses? (laughs) And I said, Sam, those are called secret service agents. And he said, tell me more. (laughs) He was only like 10 at the time, but he was so fascinated. So I started to tell him. And I loved his curiosity. He became a bit obsessed with secret service agents. And, And so I went out and got a documentary on secret service agents. And they started to tell the story in the middle of the documentary on this moment. This is 1980. President Reagan is outside the Washington Hilton Hotel. And this is about two seconds before he gets shot by John Hinckley, who actually just got out of prison a couple months ago. But but he gets shot. And I will never forget this moment as this documentary and Secret Service agents describe what happens here. Because we're watching this, and it gets to this part of the documentary, and my son looks over, and tears are streaming down my face. See if you can figure out why tears are streaming down my face. Just watch this clip. Next slide, I think, guys. Just go to the next. There we go. I still get so emotional watching that. 
So my son looks over at me, and tears are streaming down this, my face. I stopped the documentary right here, and he says, Dad, are you okay? <laughs> Somebody, any idea why it was so moving to me when I saw that? Raise your hand if you have, have an idea. What do you think? So I can hear you. I got old ears. So, yeah, so I, I turned to my son and I said, Timothy McCarthy is giving us a glimpse of Jesus here, Sam. Did you hear what the Secret Service agent said? He said, when the shots rang out, so do you see everybody else diving for cover? They're hiding behind cars and fire hydrants and covering up and making themselves as small as they can. Look at Timothy McCarthy here. First, Jerry Parr gets on top of Reagan, so he gets shot in, instead of Reagan. And, and, and Timothy McCarthy, everybody else is running in the other direction. He turns toward the gunshots and makes himself as big as he possibly can. And what, what the Secret Service agent said was that defies human intuition. That defies everything in us. And you need to know the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. That Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He spent his whole life getting ready to die for you. To make himself big. And push you out of the way and take the hit for you. And I said, Sam, Jesus made himself big. He looks like a helpless victim. But that's the strongest thing any human's ever done. It's the most counterintuitive thing to lay down your life for a friend. That's why Jesus says, no one has greater love than this. And he laid down his life for his friend. And so we've got to realize that this is Timothy, the result of Timothy McCarthy. This is what he looked like at the time. And this, this is where he ended up. He lived, thankfully. So, so yeah. But, but he took a bullet right in the chest. I mean, he was intending to die to save the president's life. And I, I said, Sam, do you see what this is like? It's like Jesus... Because that's making yourself big, and that's what Jesus does, and that's what he did for you. That's how much he loves the world, the world that hates him, the world that ignores him, the world that mocks him, the world that minimizes our sin and trivializes our sin, the world that doesn't pay any attention to God because we got to get on with our own lives. Jesus is the good shepherd. I've been praying that if you came here this week and you came in here tonight and Jesus wasn't your good shepherd because you've trusted him by faith, that tonight would be the night. Here's what I want to do. No drama, no manipulation, no emotional nothing. I just want you to have an opportunity to publicly say, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. And, and here's, here's how I want to do it. Look, the Christian faith is incredibly personal. But it's not private. And I, I can't think of a better way to start your life with Jesus than to do it publicly. Because that's how he calls you to live it the rest of your life. And, and this is the most friendly audience you'll ever declare your faith in Jesus in the midst of, probably for the rest of your life. And so if tonight is the night, listen very clearly to what I'm saying. I don't want you to misunderstand this. I mean, I've talked to kids and say, why'd you stand up? And they said, because uh, I was dozing off and my friend did. That's not what I want here, right? 
I want you to understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is if you're not sure tonight, maybe you're religious. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life. But like a kid I talked to at Hume Lake two weeks ago who came up to me Tuesday night with tears streaming down his face and said, I want to trust Jesus for salvation right now. And I prayed with him and I talked to him. I got together with him the next day and I said, what would you have said if I had asked you if you were a Christian the night before, last, uh, the morning of yesterday? And he said, I would have said I was a Christian. And I said, so what happened last night? Why would you have said you were a Christian? He said, because I grew up in a Christian family. I went to church my whole life. And I said, so what happened last night? He said, I just never really knew I needed forgiveness. I, I just knew right answers. But I'd never gotten to the end of myself and known I needed Jesus. And if that's where you are tonight, maybe you've been a good kid. Maybe you know that you're a mocker and you came here wanting nothing to do with the religious stuff. You just wanted to see the girls and have fun. And I'm glad God used that to get you here. I really am. That's how he works. <laughs> but now is the time to respond. The Bible says, if today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because you know what the preaching of the gospel can be? It can be a way to life. But you know what the Bible also says the preaching of God's word can be? Part of your judgment. It can be part of what condemns you because you heard his voice and you hardened your heart. Please don't let the word you've heard preached tonight be part of your judgment. Let it be life-giving words that you've heard and want to respond. Don't disdain the simplicity of how you become a Christian. It's belief, not just intellectual, but belief that collapses on Jesus and says, not me, but him. He's who I need, not myself, not my own righteousness, not my own religiosity, not my own morality, not my own accomplishments, not my own family pedigree, nothing but Jesus. And so tonight, if you want to say, I want to follow Jesus because I'm not sure I ever really have and I want to do it tonight, if that describes you, I want to pray for you, so would you please stand up so I can do that? I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know how much he loves you. I want you to know how much God loves you, and I want you to know that doing this publicly like this is really good. It's going to set a trajectory for your lives in the way you live for Jesus. Not just take a stand for him now, but live for him the rest of your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these who've stood up tonight and indicated their desire to find life in Christ, to find truth in him, to find the way in him. And Lord, I pray that they would know that they've made a decision that is the best one they could ever make in their lives. More important than anything else they'll ever do in their entire lives is to follow Jesus and trust him in saving faith. And Lord, I thank you that you still are saving people, bringing them from darkness into life, from death into life. 
And Lord, there will be war raging against their souls. Satan hates what, what's happening right now. And so I pray for your protection on these dear ones who've stood. I pray that you would help them to know that Jesus is worthy of their entire lives. And I pray your people would gather around them and be a source of protection and, and sheep who care for them as they follow the great shepherd with each other. And so Lord, help them to get plugged into local churches, dive into your word, become men and women of prayer, and make them leaders, Lord. They've started their faith in you with a beautiful, bold declaration. And I pray it would continue, that they would follow you every day of their lives and trust you as the one who is the good shepherd who will never fail. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.